KPFA IBDA Freedom Radio Project. Flashpoints KPFA and the IBDA Cultural Center present a benefit fundraiser Thursday, February 10th at 7 p.m. at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland. Beginning with a film screening of The Children of IBDA, a documentary about the Palestinian children's dance troupe from the Dehesha refugee camp in the West Bank. Also, live music by David Robitz, Mo Ali Lesh, and Palestinian hip-hop with the Iron Shake. The Freedom Radio Project is a collaboration between Flashpoints, KPFA, and IBDA, empowering Palestinian youth to express their own creative story and experience through radio. That's Thursday, February 10th at 7 p.m. at the Grand Lake Theater in Oakland. Tickets are $15. For more information, please call 510-848-6767, extension 241. This event is co-sponsored by the Middle East Children's Alliance. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for Stone Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Yes, I hope we have a happy ending today. Raising a million dollars is not the sort of thing I'm used to doing, but we'll give it a shot. Today, today is... February the 8th, 2005, and today we're trying to raise funds for free speech radio. If ever we needed KPFA Pacifica Public Radio, this is the moment, folks. Last night, I heard Condi Rice, our Secretary of State, speaking in France. Yes, I thought Paris in the spring. Dear me, oh golly, I heard one French response, quote, yes, we regret nothing, yes, aha, I put on Edith Piaf's song and played it loud and clear, I just gave it to my engineer, Eddie, you want want to give us a a few bars, yes, Uh uh-huh, no, yes, no regret, Rian, no. Some say Condi Rice is trying to make nice. I wish we could just listen to Edith Piaf. Oh, I worship her. She makes my day every day. Uh, but I don't hear Condi Rice as a nice lady. If I were a French citizen, uh, I'd tell her that uh, 
we should send back that Statue of Liberty. Yes, take take it back. Uh, the French gave the United States that uh, great lady of New York Harbor in honor of our democratic ideals. That was a long time ago, folks. How quickly we forget it was the French, you know, who stepped up to the plate and helped us win our freedom from the British. I think that was back in the 1770s, wasn't it? Anyway, before I forget, I want to tell you about a woman who should be our Secretary of State. I saw her on public TV this week, and uh, I was listening to uh, Lena Berman and uh, uh, Eve Ensler uh, the hour before this, and they were talking about Bill Moyer's show now, one of the last bits of a progressive television it's been cut to half an hour, but there's a woman on that show now whose name is Constance Rice. That might help you remember to look for her on the show. Constance Rice, not Condi Rice. Bill Moyers, of course, uh, is no longer on the air, but the show is continuing. It's in good hands. It's only half an hour, yes. But this progressive voice, Constance Rice, is now a permanent contributor, and Friday night, she spoke about women's roles in society as a bellwether for social health, women's status as a gauge of progress. I think, I think it was Marx and Lenin who suggested that many years ago, but never mind. Um, she detailed the murderous conditions endured by women in Iraq. I hope it doesn't diminish her brilliant and articulate style to say that Constance Rice is also drop-dead gorgeous. Doesn't hurt, you know. That's what TV is all about. She's breathtaking. Uh, a goddess come to Earth. And like Condoleezza Rice, she has some African heritage, but her spin is about 180 degrees to the left. Can you go 180 degrees to the left of the Secretary of State? Anyway, today I've got two premiums to offer you in hopes of persuading you to subscribe to this radio station. It's 1-800-HEY-KPFA, 1-800-439-5732. You've been hearing it all morning. First off, I've got a biography of William Shakespeare called Will in the World. You've been hearing about this book. Uh, it's Stephen Greenblatt's biography of... Uh, that's just a $60 subscription, and since it's a $30 book, you can see you'd be way ahead. My second premium is a very slender volume of autobiographical prose by yours truly, Jennifer Stone, together with four CDs. They are readings from the book. These are individual stories, prose stories. They're arranged in a kind of hopscotch sequence. You know, there's a token from each one thrown into the next. They do connect, but each one stands alone. Uh, they've been anthologized as single stories a lot. Anyway, that little book with four CDs is available if you've already got the Shakespeare book. Uh, now, let me just give you a few lines from Adam Gopnik's review of will in the world, this biography of Shakespeare. He says it's startlingly good, the most complexly intelligent and sophisticated and yet the most keenly enthusiastic study of the life and work taken together that I have ever read. 
Okay, he says that Greenblatt knows the life and the period deeply. And uh, the author begins with a fine, disabused picture of Stratford, circa 1564, when the poet was born. Against the old notion of an expansive Elizabethan culture connected by the open English road, he draws a portrait of a society nearly Soviet, or perhaps South American, in its paranoias, public persecutions, and sudden murderous changes of ideology. Anyway, he goes on to say that uh, deep down, all of us believe in lives, that is, in the life of Shakespeare. Uh, I was uh, taught in the 50s that Shakespeare was this wonderful populist, a universalist, humanitarian. I <laughs> don't believe it. I think that Shakespeare was probably about well, at least two men, probably four, but I don't want to get into trouble. I'm not going to talk about Edward de Vere or the Earl of Oxford, uh, the same man, by the way, because that will get me all kinds of uh, mail, and I just don't want to get into it. Uh, actually, de Vere does make a little sense to me, mainly because he knew the life of the court and his history, and he had traveled more, but never mind all that. Uh, anyway, uh Adam Gopnik says that if you ask a cultural studies maven who believes in nothing but collective forces and class determinisms, uh, she will begin to tell you the story of her life. Yes, we all need to go from the particular to the universal and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, in Will in the World, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the play Merchant of Venice because it's on screens right now. And... Uh, you know, it's it helps to connect to something we know about. There was a crime committed in Shakespeare's time, uh, and apparently uh, he either he either witnessed the execution or he heard all about it. And it was about the death of a gentleman called Lopez. Anyway, the argument was that the man had tried to assassinate the queen. Aha, somebody just handed me something here. Yes. Aha. says, please repeat the numbers often and slowly. Yes, your gifts. And it says here you can have both. Both the book Will in the World uh, by Stephen Goldblatt. <laughs> Stephen Goldblatt. And my book Over by the Caves, which comes with four CDs of my shows. Now, you can have one or the other for $60 and both for $100. Now, that's a real deal. Okay, I'm putting this to one side so I don't forget. I have with me here in the studio Laura Privis, who is one of the uh, producers on the morning show and a great help to all of us because I am always forgetting to mention the phone numbers. Yes, and that's my job here is yes. to remind everyone that they can call 510-848-5732 or 1-800-439-5732. I haven't even got started, Laura, and it's already almost quarter of... Well, oh, we golly. keep going. Anyway, we does... Yes, uh, Shakespeare does nuance, folks, unlike <laughs> unlike many of today's writers. Uh, I, I wanted to tell you about um, 
this particular movie because it's all about otherism. It's all about all the problems that exist in the world today. The Merchant of Venice is full of feminism and folly and fear and fundamentalism. Uh, I guess, you know, it was politically correct, of course, to scapegoat Jews in uh, the 16th century. Shylock the Jew is the quintessential other. If you've seen the movie, you know that Al Pacino is intense, uh, riveting as Shylock. Uh, actually, I have, I know this is weird, but I've been dreaming about this movie. Uh, it's gloomy. You remember that Shylock the Jew is not the merchant of the title, but he dominates the play. I don't know whether Shakespeare meant that. Uh, people think of Shylock as the title character, but the merchant is Antonio. Now, this is the role played by Jeremy Irons. He has what the uh, Elizabethans called the melancholy humor. His deeply depressed um, existential angst it comes out of every pore. He is a mournful man who apparently is brokenhearted over his love for a younger man, Bassanio. That role is played by Joseph Fiennes in the movie. And their relationship is expressed openly. Yes, so that we get um, a portrait of homosexual uh, love and affection. I believe there's a kiss. Bassanio, though he's this sort of romantic bisexual type, he wants to marry Portia because she is rich and beautiful and the wisest woman around. She gets to dress as a man and do that trial scene. You remember the trial scene about the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven on the place beneath. That was the little speech that I remember all the way back in high school. High school English teachers would tell us to memorize that speech. The quality of mercy is not strained. And we would get up in front of the class and try to recite it beautifully. Uh, Lynn Collins plays Portia. She's a Botticelli Venus in this role. She's all reds and golds. And actually, she looks more like a pre-Raphaelite. Um, she's uh, kind of a, what is the word for that? Um, she's a fairy tale princess at the same time. Uh, she's the uh, force for good. The movie is funereal. Uh, I loved it. The audience was looking kind of depressed when they left. And I thought, oh, dear. Maybe this is a downer. Maybe people would rather have something a little more upbeat these days. Uh, for me, the art direction is worth every minute of it. There's this incredible portraiture. Uh, some people, I guess I'm one of them, insist that Shakespeare is all about language. There's nothing unique about the plays. They're just the language. Um, a recent production of Othello without the Elizabethan language, I think, proves that point. I was watching it the other night, and uh, it's nothing to speak of um, without the words. But in this film, the art direction is so stunning, I kind of forgive them for cutting it down to the bone. Uh, Jeremy Irons looks like a... Uh, El Greco painting with uh, his hands and feet, you know, longer, extended, this crucified Christ. The lighting is uh, amazing. He tells the court during the trial scene that Shylock would never be moved to be merciful 
because, of course, Shylock is a Jew, therefore no more capable of compassion than is a wolf. You know, a wolf can't help being a wolf. It's just his nature. Uh, anyway, he delivers that speech with so much sorrow and melancholy, I, I bought it. It sort of demonstrates what it feels like to have absolute conviction, even if it's the wrong conviction. What I saw, of course, was this massive Christian death wish. In the play and the film, of course, both the Christian and the Jew are villainous, villainous fellows, uh, uh, villainous groups, tribes, kind of like the world situation today, you know. Uh, what do you do when both sides are wrong? Belief in absolutes, holy wars, these were subjects that Shakespeare knew all about, just as we do. No difference at all. Apparently, human nature is a constant. Uh, I just uh, want to see the movie again to look at the costumes and the painterly cinematography. You know, the past, the Renaissance, as as it never was, but as we know it in art today. Uh, I think... Al Pacino gives us this tragic portrait, this psychiatric nightmare, this wounded paranoid. Uh, I think that the images here, they're visual. They're metaphors for the eye, you know. Uh, Venice in the winter, the rain everywhere, dank and dark. And Philoc is rattling his great keys as he locks up his daughter and his ducats. A man's heart is with his treasures. Shylock's daughter, Jessica, she escapes from her father's house and elopes with her Christian lover, Lorenzo. She converts to Christianity. That would be the uh, politically correct thing to do in the 16th century. For this scene, she too gets to dress as a boy. There's a lot of androgyny and cross-dressing in this play. All three women characters get to dresses men, uh, Portia's maid, Nerissa, gets to put on pants for the trial scene. Anyway, uh, I love the tableaus, the portraits. I wish I had some still pictures. Uh, I don't know if this movie is going to be popular, but it will find its audience and it will replay on cable television forever. Now, in this biography, the one that we're offering for a premium, we learn all about this famous trial during Elizabeth I's reign. This trial is the one in which a supposed Jew was accused of trying to assassinate Queen Elizabeth. Uh, at his hanging, you remember in those days, uh, men were, uh, criminals were uh, gutted, drawn and quartered. You know, they were disemboweled and then torn to bits. That's... Uh, Oh, they were hung first and then cut down and disemboweled. The crowd was heard to laugh at this man's last words, in which he proclaimed that he loved the queen as much as Jesus Christ. So, if he were a Jew, this speech would be heard as vindictive. There are many arguments uh, that the man was a, a devout Protestant, but anyway, Shakespeare may have witnessed this scene at the scaffold, and certainly... He did hear all about it. The chapter is called Laughter at the Scaffold. And let me read just a little passage from that chapter. Uh, 
Yes, it says the fire glowed against the darkness of almost complete erasure. Oh, right. Uh, this is all about the imaginations of Shakespeare and Marlowe being set on fire by the figure of this Jew and of the laughter and uh, malevolent um, treatment of the Jew. Yes, the fire glowed against the darkness of almost complete erasure. Yes, 1290, 200 years before the momentous expulsion from Spain, the entire Jewish community of England had been expelled and forbidden on pain of death to return. The act of expulsion in the reign of Edward I was unprecedented. England was the first nation in medieval Christendom to rid itself by law of its entire Jewish population. There was no precipitating crisis, as far as known, no state of emergency, not even any public explanation. He goes on to say that no chronicler bothered to record the official reasons. Perhaps no one Jew or Christian thought reasons needed to be given. For decades, the Jewish population in England had been in desperate trouble, accused of host desecration and the ritual murder of Christian children, hated as moneylenders, reviled as Christ killers, beaten and lynched by mobs, whipped into anti-Jewish frenzy by the incendiary sermons of itinerant friars. Anyway, this book is a treasure trove of background and information. It's the and Jennifer, on that note, yes, yes. maybe we should money, remind, money, 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 money. We need money, to money, remind money, money. us, everyone out there, how to, if you would like this book, Will in the wor World, um, you can call us, 510-848-5732, It's called you, Will in the World, How Shakespeare Became Shakespeare. And also, if you um, appreciate Jennifer Stone and her unique voice on the KPFA airwaves, um, you can get her book um, "Over by the Caves." Over by the Caves, plus uh, several CDs Four. of her monologues on the airwaves here um, for another sixty dollars. So that's five one zero eight four eight five seven three two one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two or KPFA. Laura, you said you liked the the story. My mother's monkey's name was Zelda. It's <laughs> really a crazy story. Zelda and Scott. They were two monkeys. My father brought back a monkey from the Philippines in World War Two, and the monkey's name was, um, I think. Tacky or Tacloban from the town, and I renamed her Zelda, and then we got another monkey called uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, of course, and they had a, a life that was very similar to Scott and Zelda. <laughs> Scott did her in, yes. Anyway, uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories in this book, and I, as I said, I anthologized several of them, but they were written long, long ago, back in the days when I thought that surrealism would save us, you know, but I was too subtle by half. These days we need straightforward journalism. Well, we also need people like Jennifer Stone who can give us a non-linear stream of consciousness version of, <laughs> of what's happening out there. Not everybody takes in information in just a straightforward, factual way, and other people need to to have someone synthesize it like Jennifer Stone can. And I know there's a lot of you out there who really appreciate her humor and 
free association yes free association so, is my downfall <laughs> so again those numbers 510-848-5732-1-800-439-5732 if you would like the book will in the world or jennifer stones over by the caves Please give us a call, 510-848-5732. Got about eight lines filled. That's not bad. There's two lines open. Yes, William Shakespeare, um, a populist and a progressive, if there ever was one, but Bill covers all the angles. I don't think you could uh, describe him as a socialist. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, what is it? Um, what's the line? He's not of an age, but for all time. You can do anything you like with Shakespeare. You can spin him any way you like. What have we got here? 1-800-HEY-KPFA is H-E-Y. I always forget to say that. H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. That's 1-800-439-5732. And it's 3 o'clock, 3.54, which means we've got, no, 3.55. We've only got four more minutes to sell this stuff. I made all these notes last night about art and ideology, and they don't make very much sense. As a matter of fact, they sound like a school teacher. I'm just a recovering English teacher, but where else could somebody like me have a chance to shoot off her mouth? Uh, yes, aesthetics is the mother of ethics, it says here. Mm-hmm. That's my mantra for the year. And people just say, what? what do you mean? That sounds elitist. And, I, you know, in the culture wars, the one thing we know is that if you don't tenderize people and give them a little, uh, let's call it, let's not call it art, let's just call it... Uh, how about poetry? How about poetry, yes. If you start out with something, I used to call it breast reading, you know, like breast feeding, because so many children today, they don't get language till they go to school, and then it's grim. But if you read to them at the breast in uh, loving tones, you know, then they associate words with something sensual and, uh, you know, they get turned on to poetry. Okay. Oh, oh, wonderful. Will in the world is gone. Will in the world is sold out. Oh, oh, what a relief. Uh, but thank you. But you can still call and get Jennifer's book. Thank you, Paul. 848-5732 and also for those out of the 510 area code 1-800-439-5732 a great bargain and there's pictures yes well I don't have to talk about well in the world anymore except that I love the picture of the gloves you remember Shakespeare's father was a glove maker and uh, then there are the pictures oh there are the lovely pictures that I have in my school books but uh, mostly there are pictures of the men that we think were probably Shakespeare's male lovers. Um, oh, let's see. Yes, I have one over my desk, but I'm for the dark lady of the sonnets myself. Never mind. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. Now we've got just my book, so I think next Tuesday, if I have any of those left, we'll continue with those and maybe some other goodies. Uh, it's now 357 and I'm not sure whether we're allowed to run over. Well, once let's give out the number one more time. Yes. 510-848-5732. 1-800-439-5732. A million dollars. I wonder if we're going to make it, folks. I just don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, 
Next time, Laura, I want you to tell people about art and ideology because <laughs> I'm still having trouble getting people to make a link. We argue about that a lot here at KPFA. You know, there's apparently there's some division between art and politics. I've never found that there was one. Uh, Pablo Neruda used to talk about that all the time. And uh, I think the grown-ups understand it, but for a lot of young people and for a lot of editors I know, they always ask you, you know, are you political or are you artistic as if there were a choice, uh, as if you could be one or the other. Yeah, they have to feed each other. Of course. And the thing is, there's 24 hours in the day, and I always think if we start with the stories, uh, say the, the stories, look around and look at the story of Condi Rice and the story of George Bush. The story of all these individuals who are shaping our lives. And then you can get to the bottom of things. I'll be back on the air, not Thursday, but the following Tuesday at 3.30, same time, same place. Until then, this has been Jennifer Stone. Go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Jewish Voice for Peace presents An Evening with Professor George Bisharat, Palestinian-American activist for peace and justice in the Middle East. Thursday, February 10th at 7.30 p.m. at the Unitarian Church, 1924 Peter Street at Bonita in Berkeley. Professor Bisharat argues for an international non-violent movement that addresses the rights of all Palestinians, those who are citizens of Israel, those living under occupation, and refugees. Five to twenty dollars, sliding scale, no one turned away for lack of funds. Benefit for Jewish Voice for Peace. When they're wicked, come.